I not on? I am on. All right. Good evening. Uh, if you would grab your Bibles, go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. The light was green. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. And we don't know what's going on. You want me to go with this one? Shut this off. Don't go anywhere. Have you ever seen me preach? I'll try to stay here. That is going to work for about as long as it takes to read my text. That's, that's about as long as that will last. So I don't know what we're doing on that, so I apologize. Um, Galatians chapter 5, I've been preaching through. Uh, the book of Galatians, of course, last week I did something a little bit different with the, uh, uh, with the baptismal service. I did not want to preach this chapter last week because we would have been here quite a long time, um, and I didn't want to do that. Uh, message is a little bit longer than uh, what I would have done for a baptismal service, having it right afterwards, so I didn't want to do that to us. So instead, Galatians chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse number 1, and we'll read... Oh, probably 16 verses to start with, and uh, we'll finish up the whole chapter by the time we're done. But uh, verse number one, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of, of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were, uh, that they were even cut off, which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another." For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say, then walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Of course, this entire chapter, you know what's coming, right? The next few verses here, you know exactly what's going to happen, and it's going to be the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and the fruit of the spirit is... Uh, and it, ultimately, it's the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And this is the ultimate chapter of the idea of the flesh versus the spirit. 
And his statement to open up the chapter is to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Well, therefore, you've heard it said a bunch of times between Pastor Legault and myself and a bunch of other preachers, uh, therefore, is the reference to what he just said. Well, what did we just talk about in chapter 4? Well, I'll remind you, we talked about us being the adop- having the adoption of sons. That we're no longer a child of the devil. We've been adopted into the family of God. That God has adopted us and brought us in. And we ought to live as though we are the children of God. Uh, And we ought to live as becometh the gospel. And uh, we're justified by faith. And we're supposed to live by faith. We got that in chapter 3. In chapter 2 we were supposed to live in the liberty which was found in Christ Jesus. Because of the gospel. The true gospel that was given us in chapter 1. And so by the time you get to chapter 5, he's building this case that here's the true gospel. Because of the gospel, you have liberty in Christ. Because of that liberty you found, you realize that you can now live by faith as opposed to the way you used to live under the rudiments of the world and in the law and all the things you tried to hold on to. Because you've received the adoption of sons, you can fulfill that request of God to live by faith. And now because of those things, you're supposed to be able to beat the flesh by using the Spirit. And he's building the case. Uh, Paul was one of the greatest lawyers there ever was. I mean, uh, you look over what he has to say. I, I like Brother Gibbs. I think he'd be Brother Gibbs the third, technically. Uh, and uh, he is he's a great preacher. Uh, he's a lawyer, though. And he gets up to preach, and when he gets up to preach, he preaches like he's a lawyer. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, you say, what does he do? He eliminates all of your excuses. That's what he does, and he gets right down to what you need to be. Uh, that's why I like Romans chapter 8, right? We love Romans chapter 8 for our eternal security. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're persuaded of these things. And why is Paul persuaded? And what's he listing? He's listing all that as a legal document. None of these things can do it. And he seals it all up. And he covers every bit of any excuse you could possibly have for someone saying you could lose your salvation. He eliminates all of it. And he doesn't miss a thing. And so Paul's building a case here through the book of Galatians about our works and how we are not justified by our works. We're justified by faith in Christ alone. And he's building it through. And then he's also reminding us that we don't have to live the way we used to live. We don't have to be bound and holding under those cords. But we're also not supposed to use our liberty that we do have as an occasion to the flesh and go back and live the way we used to live just because we have the liberty to do so. And so he's building the case of the flesh against the spirit. He reminds us that just a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It doesn't take much of the flesh to come into your life to mess up your entirety. It doesn't take much of letting in on the flesh and letting it do what it wants to do and letting it have that reign and that rule and put you back under bondage. It doesn't take long for that to start taking over the whole thing and leaven all of it. It doesn't take long for sin to spread throughout your life and corrupt the rest of what you do. And ruin what God's trying to do. And throughout the chapter, he's reminding us of certain things in that respect and how we ought to not worry necessarily about fulfilling the law, but to do the right thing and to be walking in the Spirit. He ends in verse number 16 to walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And he's endeavoring for us to have liberty in Christ Jesus, but recognize the boundaries of that liberty are not supposed to be so open that you go back to living by the flesh, but instead living by the Spirit and loving one another. 
And so we're going to talk tonight just for a little while, and I say that loosely and relatively to the fact that we have 70 or 80 years on the earth. Um, so just a little while, amen? Uh, that was a joke. I know Brother Grady's funnier than me too, all right? I get it. And I have no extra Italian jokes for you, so I can't, I can't even unbury myself. I'll just look at Viscom. Um, and... Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. We'll talk about this exact thing, the flesh versus the spirit, and how do we win. Uh, Lord, we do come before you tonight, and I do pray that you would help me, uh, Father, to say what you want me to say and, and convey it in the right, the right manner, the right words, Father, to be easily understood. I don't want to complicate this at all, and I don't think it's all that complicated, but Father, we complicate it in our own mind. And so, Father, help us. Father, get clarity of thought and mind on this, and Lord, help me to say it the way that it needs to be said, that Father would minister grace onto the hearers and it'd help us practically in our lives to be able to get the victories that we know we ought to have and the growth that I believe we should have. And so, Father, I do pray you'd help us tonight. I thank you so much for the morning services today with Brother Grady, and I pray, Father, I, I don't know, but I believe he's reached his destination all right there in North Tonawanda, and I pray that you just bless him tonight. I know he's tired, and so I pray you would give him clarity of thought and mind as well. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory this night in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so here we are in Galatians chapter 5, of course, and he's going to start. And uh, look at verse number 17. Uh, he says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and the two are contrary, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in, times past, in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Now, uh, I'm going to say a couple of things here uh, that'll continue my introduction, and then we'll get into the first point, but uh, notice a few things that he wanted you to realize. He wanted you to realize that the flesh and the spirit are in contrary. They're always going to be contrary. Uh, the spirit and the flesh are never on the same page. Uh, your flesh wants certain things. It lusts after certain things. It wants certain things that your spirit wants nothing to do with. Uh, those are contrary the one to the other. And then he says, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Uh, this is Romans chapter 7, right? Paul, you know, the things that I would, I do not. And the things that I would not, that do I. And he's going back and forth between what he wants to do and what he should do versus what he, what he ends up doing and what he doesn't want to do. And how does this all work and how does it happen? And it's the flesh lusting against the spirit. And he tells you this in verse number 18 though. He says, but if you be led... Of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Right. Well, if you're led of the Spirit, you're going to have certain things that happen, and he's going to get to that here shortly. But he wants to start off with the works of the flesh. And if you do these things, notice what he says in verse number, 20, uh, verse number 21. He ends the verse with, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to make a quick statement here because I don't want to bog down the message uh, that's the inheritance. That's not your salvation. That's right. Those are two very different things. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to Pastor Legault after the service. He didn't get to slide any of those in this morning, so I'm up by one today. All right. 
Uh, usually I'm behind by eight, but tonight I'm up by one. Um, there's a difference between your inheritance, what you get as the inheritance of sons, versus your sonship. Your sonship doesn't go away. You're still saved. You're still a child of God. Uh, but what you earn is affected by how you live. Uh, there's plenty of verses on that, and you can go all over the place for it. But the truth is, uh, you lose the inheritance if you don't want to live right. And these are the things that we do then when we're not living right. And so let's start off, number one, with the flesh. Well, what, what does he reference? Well, first of all, I want you to notice a key word right here. He says, now the works of the flesh. Now, this is where you get into, right? The problem that he's talking about throughout the chapter is the idea of the works of the law. The deeds of the law, right? He references circumcision. He references what we do. And the problem that people have is they want to go all the way over and say, well, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. And they take that to the extreme. But the problem with that statement is uh, that Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 tells you that you can have, that you're supposed to turn to God from your dead works to serve the living God. Well, then you can have dead works. You can, you can do all the right things and still be dead. He tells the church there in, Rome, in Revelation chapter 2, he reminds them that he knows their works and their patience and their labors and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, right? And they say, tried those that say they're apostles and are not and has found them liars. And they're doing all these great things. And then he says, but nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Yeah. Repent of what? Doing the right things? No repenting why you're doing the right things. It wasn't to serve the living God. It was dead works. It was a show. Well, then works don't always show your faith. They can, but they don't always show your faith. Ultimately, we'll get to it, but ultimately fruit shows faith. The evidence of faith in God and trust in him is not by your works. It's by the fruit that you produce. And we'll get there shortly. Uh, but notice, it's the things that we do. He says in, in verse number 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Now I'm going to give you some definitions for these words. Some of these words aren't words we normally use, and they're not words that some people are familiar with. And I'm going to try and do some definitions. And for those of you who have kids in here, I'll do simple definitions. Don't worry. All right, I'm not trying to do anything terrible, but you understand what these words are. Uh, and he starts off with the word adultery. Now, that's the breach of the marriage vows, any breach, uh, including a look. A look breaches the marriage vows. Uh, it's the breach of the marriage vows. You say, what is that? It's committed adultery already. So what's happened? There's been a breach of the vows that were given. So what's adultery? Breaching the marriage vows in one respect or another. I believe it'll fall under any breach of the marriage vows any of it. And I'm not going to get into too many details on these. You know what these are. Uh, ama amazingly enough, I, I forgot to mention this, uh, the works of the flesh are manifest. We, we, don't really have to, we don't really have to notice when we're working in the flesh. We know when we're working in the flesh, don't we? Uh, it's manifest. It's pretty easy to see when somebody's working in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Now they're trying to make it look good. <laughs> And they're trying to cover it up, but ultimately the works will show out. And the works of the flesh are manifest. And we know these things, is a, this is a terrible list. The world would call most of these things a terrible list. Adultery, 
the breach of the marriage vows, uh, fornication, any of the act, and the action that takes place. Regardless of married or unmarried, some people try to differentiate between the two. Webster does in the dictionary. Uh, the scriptures kind of tend to lean more toward those two. They say, well, those are kind of interchangeable, adultery and fornication. Adultery is anything that breaches the vow, but fornication is the act, the act that was taken between two individuals. Then he gets to uncleanness, dirty, filthy, and impure. You notice a common theme through these first few. You notice in the theme? I'm trying not to, not to go too deep into some, some things, all right? You understand, adults, you understand the theme that's going on right here. Uh, we counsel, Pastor Legault and I counsel with people, uh, people who have been abused, people who've had different things happen to them, and you know what one of the feelings that they have is? They feel that they are unclean. They've been defiled. There's been an uncleanness there. And some people, they live in their uncleanness. awfully, I feel like everybody's uncomfortable. <laughs> you all right? Come on. I'm just telling you what the works of the flesh are. Right. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That's filled with strong sexual desires, inordinate affections, he calls them. That's that not, leaving the natural use there in Romans chapter 1. This gets you out into the those weird and ungodly and unsightly things and some of the things that God doesn't even want to mention in the scriptures that we already know are wicked. Those are the places where God burns things to the ground with uh, fire and brimstone. Lasciviousness. Those first four are all attached to the same idea and going in the same direction. Uncleanness, that filthiness of the flesh of going that direction that's permeated our society. They are unashamed. The world is now unashamed of all four of those things. Unashamed. They try to put it in your face as much as they possibly can. They're unashamed of it. And you know why you're quiet? I like that you're quiet. You say, why? Well, you're not comfortable talking about it. The world's comfortable talking about it. And they're comfortable talking about it like it's a good thing. When it's pure wickedness. It's the works of the flesh. He follows it up with idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of a physical object in the place of God. That could be any physical object. Whether it's a person, a place, a thing. Uh, whether it's an object in, a, in an idle sense like you and I would talk about with a statue and all those things. But it's also uh, making a God of yourself can even be listed in there. Anything you put ahead of God becomes idolatry. Witchcraft, that's the use of sorcery, magic, communication with the devil. Hatred. Wait a minute, we just slid hatred in there? Isn't this a strange list right here now? I mean, we went from, we know the, those first four. You know, those all go together. Then you get to the next one and you're like, idolatry, okay, witchcraft, worshiping Satan, you know, that kind of thing, and putting all those pieces in, and then hatred. Hatred is uh, 
Extreme dislike or disgust. Hatred. So why do you think he slid that in there? Uh, I think he slid that one in there because that's worship of yourself. Why do you hate somebody so much? Why do you dislike and disdain somebody? Just a thought. Variance. Uh, it's simple definition, right? It's, it's variations. It's dissension. Disputation. Causing differences. Variance. Just trying to divide everybody up a little bit. Try not to get off on any of these too hard. <laughs> I'll just say this. Facebook likes to cause a lot of variance. Yeah. That's right. I'm, yeah, I'm going to do it. I get all fired up. I heard, I saw the post. I saw the picture of the post. Somebody sent it over to me of an evangelist who wanted to say that Dr. Ruckman made this deathbed confession to one of his friends. Doesn't name his friend. Vaguely says what possibly could have been said. The only name that he referenced was Dr. Ruckman, and the rest of it was just to cause everybody to explode. Zero details. The only detail in the entire thing was Dr. Ruckman's name. So what is that? Variance. That's what that is. The guys on this side who know Doc, and they read the post, and they go, that doesn't sound like Dr. Ruckman ever. The guys on the opposite side go, well, yeah, he was wrong over there. and we Is that what he'd do? He just threw a bomb in the room and wanted to go ahead and watch what everybody did. So is that, that's variance. That's wicked. Cause dissension. Get everybody all upset and riled up. Emulations. That's ambition or endeavor to equal or excel others in achievements. You look over at the next guy and you say, I got to be better than him. And I'll do anything to get it. Emulations. That's what Satan did to God, right? That's right. I will be like the Most High. I'm going to be like him because I'm as good as he is. So I'm going to... Emulations. Wrath. Strong, vengeful anger. Well, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That's right. Well, no, you don't know what they... Okay. Wrath. Yeah. Uh, by the way, when you were lost, you were a child of wrath. Right. And a child of disobedience. Why are you going back to those things? Strife. Bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dissension. Goes along with variance. Strife, just trying to fan the flames. Well, I don't like them and they don't like me. Okay. Sedition, incitement of resistance to or insurrection against a lawful authority. Barabbas, by the way, he was arrested for sedition. That was one of his charges. I think our greatest sedition is against our own Savior. Yeah, that's right. He's the lawful authority, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. 
and you rebel against him. Say, I don't like this list. I don't like this list either. In case you're wondering, I'm slowly going down this list on purpose. Because we don't, we don't want to think about this. We're like, hurry up, get to the second list. Hurry up and get to the second list and tell me how great I am. No, no. You don't want to recognize who you are. Wasn't that Jacob's problem? Oh, I'm Esau. No, no. What's your name? Okay, I'm Jacob. Okay, I can bless you. Supplanter, I can bless you. See, we don't want to admit who we are. When the Lord knows who you are, and you know who you are, you just don't want to deal with it. And we can keep going the same direction if you want to go. You can keep using your liberty as an occasion of the flesh, but you're not supposed to. How do I know when I'm in the flesh? Well, it's, it's manifest. The works of the flesh are manifest. Heresies. An opinion contrary to the truth. Oof. Say, ah, it's just the truth of God's word. No, it's just the truth. Heresy is just against the truth. Now, ultimately, we understand the truth of God's word is infallible. It's absolute truth. But you also know the truth, and you decide you want to go against it and spread lies and rumors. Well, then that's heresy. Envyings. Painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another. Oof. You look over at so-and-so and you think, why did they get that car? Why Lord cut them a check? How come they got to preach? How come they got to take over for so-and-so when they were out of town? How come nobody asked me? Why didn't pastor call me about that? How come I didn't get to know? Well, yeah, but I really wanted... Well, how come I don't get blessed like that? And beings. Now it's quiet in here, I think, for another reason. Murders. Unlawful killing of a person, especially with malice of forethought. We already know if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. That puts you back earlier in the list to hatred and wrath. Murder. Boy, if I could just do what I wanted to do. Drunkenness. We all know what drunkenness is. Ultimately, it is being drunk to excess. Losing your faculties, ultimately. No longer being of sober mind. I believe that would fall under any types of drugs or anything else that goes along with it, personally. It's loss of your own control. The drunk man doesn't know what he's doing. Revelings. Carousing. Partying, usually associated with alcohol and drugs. Revelings. 
Just partying. Just partying. And such like. So what's that line? Just in case you thought of something that wasn't on his list. He just wanted you to know. It's manifest. You know what it is. Just slide it in right there. You can feel free to add on as many number things as you'd like. There's plenty of things. And if you wanted to just fill it up, you could keep filling it up with all the things that are the works of the flesh. That's right. There's plenty of it. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of sinful wickedness. It piles up quickly and easily in somebody's life. And you look at their life and you can point out. And the thing that we struggle with is I can look over at somebody else and I can say, look at the flesh working there. I'm not asking you to look at somebody else. The Lord's not asking you to look over at somebody else. You know what he's asking you to do? How you doing? What do I have going on in my life that's the works of the flesh? Because I'll tell you this. If you fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you won't fulfill the lust of the Spirit. You won't walk in the Spirit. You'll be fulfilling the lust of the flesh guaranteed. And a little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. Well, I don't do it that often. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. How many times do you and I look at our own lives and we recognize the times where we let something just a little bit in and the next thing you know, it's taken too much. Amen. And we go, why didn't I see that happening? We've been around long enough, haven't we? We look at our, and we go, why didn't I stop that sooner? I knew it wasn't right there, but I let it build and now it's a real problem. Before it was a problem, right? It was just a little problem, and it was manageable. Why is it that we let it go long enough where it becomes hard to manage? Because we refuse to recognize that it's the work of the flesh. And we don't want to believe that just a little leaveneth the whole lump. We want to believe that we can control it, and just a little will be fine. The devil has you convinced that just a little will be fine. We tell, right? You tell your kids, you guarantee, you tell your kid, oh, don't do drugs, don't smoke a cigarette, don't do that. Just a little bit of that's going to get into your life, and then it's going to ruin your life. And then you let all sorts of things in your life just a little bit. You know, I'm going to give just a couple examples. I've got to move on, but we talk about the, well, you know, I'll just miss that one service. I'm just really tired today. I'm going to just skip out on Sunday school. Now, I want you to know, just Brother Grady texted me, and he mentioned it how tired he was this morning a lot because he was that tired. He texted me at, I can prove it, he texted me at 5.08 a.m. And he said, hey, brother, I'm going to get ready to go to bed. If you could get me that cup of coffee, that would be great. I'll be at the book table at nine. You say, yeah, but he was preaching this morning. He is under no less obligation than you are. He's under no less obligation to show up to church than you are. And he had enough integrity to stand here and preach still. 
And you know what he did this afternoon? He went out to lunch with Pastor and I. We got him all set up. We drove him part of the way over to, toward Rochester Way. We set him up on 104 and we shot him out and he went off that way and we came back this way. He was probably about going to get to the church around 5 o'clock over there in North Tonawanda. He's going to set up his book table. He's going to put all the books out. He's going to get his sign, all the poster put back up. He's going to do everything that he does. He's going to talk to those people and then he's going to get up and preach again. So when's he going to rest? When he goes back to the hotel. Say, yeah, but, you know, I, I could excuse that away. Of course you could. And that's why the Lord doesn't ask you to do anything like that. Because you've decided you've already got built-in excuses for you. Not too tired to go to work, but you'll be too tired to show up to church. Not too tired to go and hang out with people. Not too tired to watch another movie or video or sports game, but too tired to do what the Lord asked you to do. Say, so what'd you do? I, you just let the flesh win. So that's a silly example. That's an easy example. You, you, don't think, you don't think I get too tired? Pastor gets too tired? You don't, you don't think people get too tired and go, oh, I just don't want to go. So what is it? It's the question of if your flesh is going to win. Amen. It's the flesh or the spirit. It's one or the other. One's winning. One's winning, and it's happening over and over and over again. And here we get to the spirit. Now notice verse number 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, I'd love to do justice to all these things, and I, I, you probably know, may, you, you might even know more about all these things than I do. So I'm just going to give you some things that you can think about on this side. I gave you a lot to think about on the other side, I'm going to give you a lot to think about on this side. First thing I want you to recognize is that it's fruit, not works. Uh, that, that links you all the way back to John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me bringeth forth much fruit. You want to bear fruit, you've got to be in him. Salvation. You don't have the spirit, you're not going to do anything. All right. Without me, you can do nothing. But it also goes hand in hand with whether or not you're growing. I believe the fruit of the spirit show more evidently as you grow in Christ. Why? Because growth brings forth fruit. That's the natural if you're not growing, you're not going to bring forth fruit. He looks and he says that Matthew chapter 7, right? You go back there. We won't uh, just take a time. Uh, you go back to Matthew chapter 7, right? He's talking about those trees and he says, uh, you know, he's talking about false prophets, false uh, preachers, false teachers. He says of them, he says that uh, by their fruits, you shall know them. Why? Because a wicked tree can't bring forth good fruit. And a good tree can't bring forth evil fruit. So then the question is, which tree are you abiding in? Which one are you staying with? Because the longer you stay with him, the more good fruit you'll bring. 
The longer you let him lead, the longer you let him have control, the longer that he gets to do it, the fruit will be the evidence of your faith that you trust him and that you walk with him and that he's your guide and that he's your stay and he's the one who's in control and not you. And so the fruit of the Spirit is. If you've got the fruit of the Spirit, that means you're abiding in the right place. Now one of the things I'm going to say about it before I get into the list once again is uh, fruit is the product of growth, not the product of practice. I'm going to practice to be joyful. (laughs) Then you're not doing it. If you have to act a certain way, you are not producing anything. You know, when you start growing, uh, think, think of this just for a moment. I'm going to try and illustrate this slightly. Uh, when you were a kid growing up, did you realize you were growing? Were you like, I'm pretty sure I gained a half an inch this morning. Not really. We didn't, we didn't notice. Uh, we didn't notice we grew. Not day to day. All of a sudden you just notice my shoes don't fit anymore. My pants are too short. Right? I need some new ones. And you upgraded. <laughs> Pastor keeps tapping his wife. And uh, I don't know what that means. So... <laughs> oh man help us that was a little joke pastor you're in trouble see I wasn't even going to do it but he kept tapping like he he wanted me to say it and I didn't say it he said it see got him right into it Uh uh-huh I'm trying to be nice it doesn't work very well but I try um and what do we do we we don't notice our own growth but other people do. Other people do. Growth is the byproduct of being in the good soil, in the right place, and getting the right nutrients to put you and grow you into what you ought to be. Remember that as we look at these things. He says, uh, first of all, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, and that's not the world's love. Notice the world's love is the first four things in The works of the flesh. That's the idea. That's the world's idea of what love is. But God's idea isn't that. His statement about love is, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, See, the world's idea of love is lust, and it's to take what I can get. God's idea of love is, What can I give to the betterment of others? You know, when you love the right things, you'll know you have the fruit of the Spirit. So what do you mean by that? Do you love the brethren? Because you're commanded to love the brethren. Do you love the Bible? Because you're told you should love the Bible. Do you love the lost? Because you want to see them come to the Savior? Do you love the Lord? Hey, husbands, love your wives. Wives, you're supposed to love your husbands too. That's over in Titus. 
But yeah, but you don't know who I got stuck with. No, you chose. You chose. What should I do? How do I love them? Uh, you better be in the Lord so you can love them right. What deems the right relationship between the husband and the wife? Well, the Word of God does, based upon what God has already done. Maybe the problem is you don't love the Lord the way you're supposed to. Because you're not bringing about the fruit of the Spirit. Amazingly enough, I'm... Well, that's a whole other message. You get to Ephesians chapter 5. He tells you to be full of the Spirit. Right? Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He reminds us to submit ourselves one to another. Well, you can't do that if you're not full of the Spirit. Right after that, you know what it is? Husbands, love your wives. You can't do that if you're not full of the Spirit. Not even as all, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves on your own. How do you do that? Not if you don't love what he loves and go with the Spirit. I think everything that follows, Ephesians chapter 5 all the way into Ephesians chapter 6, you can't do any of those things if you don't have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the thing that makes it possible for you to live the way you're supposed to live. Without the Holy Spirit, you know what you won't have? You won't have love. You don't know how to love. You'll love like the world loves. Your flesh. Jumping from this to that and all these other things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What do you rejoice over? I rejoice over the fall of all those wicked people. Okay, well that puts you back in the other list. Uh, or you could rejoice with those that rejoice instead of being envious of them. Uh, you could rejoice over one sinner that repenteth. You could rejoice over your own salvation. By the way, you get over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't want to go there for the sake of time because I want to stop this message eventually. Uh, there's too much stuff in here. Uh, you jump over there, you know what you find? You find that in all your trials and your tribulations and all the things he's listing there in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says that your joy might be full in there. He wants you to have joy. In what? Even in your trials. That's where that verse, I believe that's where that verse is, where it's joy unspeakable. I think that's in 1 Peter chapter 1, if I'm remembering it correct. Verse number 8. Joy unspeakable. At what? At your tribulations. Well, that's joy. Peace. We all know the verse, right? John chapter 14, verse number 27. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Brother Grady covered all this stuff this morning, so good thing. I don't have to cover a bunch of this. Uh, it's the peace that passeth all understanding that he gives you there in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, it's not the world's peace. It's not conditional on your circumstances and all the things and all the troubles. It's conditional on the promises that God gave you that he can take care of it. Who's in control gives you peace. Who's got it all under control? And can you trust the person who's in control? Amen. Well, if you can't, then you got problems. But if you can trust him and you know he's got it, 
well, what do I have to worry about? That's why it's a peace that passeth all understanding. The world can't understand you. Everything else goes crazy. You know what you have? You have peace that's not supposed to waver. Not supposed to move around. It's not supposed to be up and down and feeling down and, and out. and Which, By the way, it leads you to the fourth one. Long-suffering. By the way, if you don't have love, joy, or peace, I don't rightly know you can have long-suffering. Because if you don't love them, you're not going to suffer long for anybody. <laughs> Charity suffereth long and is kind. Uh, if, if you don't have joy and rejoicing, I don't know that you can put up with somebody who's miserable and terrible and you've got to try and pick up and suffer long again. If you don't have peace, I don't know how you suffer long with anybody. How do you put up with it again when they did it wrong again? You see, parents, I'm a parent now. I'm learning more and more about parenting. Mostly because Uriah is just as wicked as your kids. Might be a little bit worse. He smiles a lot and looks adorable, but... That's just so he can get himself out of trouble. That's all that is. And you say, well, was he, if I didn't love him, I wouldn't be long-suffering. I wouldn't. <laughs> if I didn't have joy, I wouldn't be long-suffering. If there wasn't peace, I wouldn't have long-suffering. One of us would be done. And I won't tell you which one it is. They'd get me in trouble. Let's just say, I don't think he's going to win, all right? And you, you recognize you're the Lord's kid. That's why he's long-suffering with you. Amen. And he knows who's in control. He is. Yeah. And he's got everything under, and he, you know what he can do? He can be long-suffering with us. He can be long-suffering with a lost man waiting for him to come to him. Right. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. He could be long-suffering. Even with people who hate him, he's long-suffering. I'm going to move on because I feel convicted. Gentleness. Now, the world wants you to think gentleness is the idea that you're just a pushover. Uh, you have to be so nice and acquiesce to everything that everybody else does because otherwise you're not gentle, so you're not a good Christian, and so you've got to just let them run over the top of you. That's not gentleness. Uh, that's not at all the idea of gentleness. I'll look over, I, I want to turn somewhere because I want to prove this to you. First Thessalonians, just hold your place here. We'll go one spot. First Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to skim this. You can read verses 1 through pretty much the whole chapter, 1 through 12 at least. Uh, but I want you to see this because gentleness gets a bad name. Gentleness, the Lord was gentle. Paul implores the preachers to be gentle unto all men apt to teach. But notice what he says. He says that, our, uh, that they know about him, right? That they, when they entered in, verse number one, it wasn't in vain. Uh, they suffered. There was contention. Verse number three, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God 
which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words. Gentleness doesn't equal flattering words. As ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Look at that. But we were gentle among you. Gentle among you. How did that work? Even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also of our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable on any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you now know we, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. You know, gentleness doesn't mean that he didn't give them the truth. Gentleness didn't mean that he didn't reprimand them and exhort them and to make them change and do the things they needed to do. It was that he didn't do it flattering words. He didn't do all these other things. But what he was was he was somebody who cared about who he was talking to. There was gentleness. He didn't do it maliciously. He didn't go after him. He didn't try to rail on him for being wrong or being terrible or doing all these. He was trying to be gentle as a mother nourisheth or a nurse cherisheth her children. Try to make sure they got what they needed without souring the milk. Look back at Galatians chapter 5. He says, uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Uh, goodness. This is something lacking. Uh, verse number 10 in chapter 6, he says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Uh, we ought to be good. You know, it's hard for us to be good. It's hard for us to be good. We don't, we don't want to be good. Our flesh doesn't like being good. It doesn't want to behave itself. It wants to do wickedness. That's what, it, that's what it's trained to do. That's why you have to train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. It's part of growth. So what are you doing? Trying to eliminate doing the wrong thing and teach him how to be good. <laughs> Sadly, we haven't taught ourselves to be good. Faith. I'll just keep moving. Faith is trusting in God's promises. Can you trust him? You know, we're supposed to grow in faith. We're supposed to increase our faith. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Uh, we're supposed to try our faith and let it grow and expand and become what we need. We understand his promises. How do I gain that? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We trust him because we understand his promises. And when we get into his promises, we understand that those promises are not failing. And since they're not failing, he's not failing us. And we can do whatever he asks us to do. The production of what he does in our lives and how he does it 
increases the faith that we have and it becomes the fruit of our faith that we'll trust him over everything else. We'll trust him beyond our circumstances. We'll trust him beyond our system of life. We'll trust him beyond all of the promises that anybody else has ever made us. What he said goes and we trust that he's right and he's going to deliver and that he will yet deliver us. Meekness. Meekness is humility before God. I purposely make that distinction. Moses in Numbers, we won't go there for sake of time. Like I said, I'm almost done, honestly. Uh, I'm almost through this list, and then I got one quick last point, and we're done. Uh, but he says in Numbers chapter 12, right, that Moses is meek above every man upon the earth. Moses, the meekest man upon the planet. That happens in the middle of a chapter where Aaron and Miriam stand up against him. You know what Moses doesn't say? He doesn't tell them, no, you get back there. <laughs> the Lord goes, I'll take care of this for you, Moses. He doesn't even show up to the Lord and say, Lord, did you hear what Aaron and Miriam are saying about me? Doesn't have to. He just says, okay, whatever, whatever. Realize the only reason Miriam lived is because of Moses? You talk about meekness. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram stand up against Moses when God's about to destroy everybody. His answer is, Moses looks over at Aaron and says, get the incense. We need to go make an offering before the people to stop the plague that's coming. Against who? The people who turned on him. Say, so what's that? Meekness. They don't deserve that. Oh, yeah, but I don't deserve the way that they talked. Yeah, but they don't really need to get the judgment of God put on them. I'm going to stand in, in the gap for them. Meekness. Knowing that God is in control of everything and you can trust him and you can stay humble before him. Lord, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why you brought this in. Perhaps it's that you need me to be humble. Hey, uh, go ahead, Shimmy. I just let him, we'll just let him just keep throwing rocks. That's fine. You want me to take his head off, David? No, let Shimmy. I just throw the rocks. Maybe the Lord sent him over. Are you kidding me? David, you're the king. Yeah, but I'm leaving in disgrace and I've done some things wrong, so maybe he's just bringing me the judgment of God. That's humility. That's meekness. That you can trust God's got it. And if they need to be punished, the Lord will take care of that. Not your vengeful wrath. God's vengeance. Temperance. Self-control, spiritual control, control. Uh, he, tells, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're supposed to be temperate in all things. That's rough. Say so why? Because we're often intemperate in lots of things. <laughs> that doesn't just speak to our attitude and our temperament. It's temperate in all things. At where you go... What you say, what you do, how you behave, 
what you eat, what you drink, who you talk to, who you don't talk to, whether you read your Bible, how consistent you are in everything. Temperance. This points back to that idea, well, I don't want to. Okay. Then you're not temperate. Well, I don't feel it. Okay. Then you won't be temperate. I don't like it. I get it. But that means you're not temperate. Consistent. Consistently in control. Not swaying this way or that. Not having a false balance that's an abomination unto the Lord. Trying to stay in balance. You say, do you stay in balance? Nope. Nope, we struggle. We fight our flesh. Once again, I'm going to say this. Practicing these is not the same as having these. You can attempt to be humble, but you're just proud because you're trying to be humble. Because you want everybody to think you're humble. That's messed up. But it's the only way to get meekness. Is to humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. All right, well, this was depressing. Verse 24. I'm almost done, I promise. I know I'm going long. I apologize. Verse number 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. The last thing I want to talk about is our victory. You got the flesh, you got the Spirit, now we want the victory, right? I, I, we want the Spirit to win. I, I hope I'm talking to a bunch of people who want to be spiritual as opposed to fleshly. Uh, I'm hoping we want to walk in the Spirit and live after the Spirit and do what we're supposed to do as opposed to doing the failure that we do way too often, right? We want to do those things. And I want you just to notice some interesting contrasts. He tells us to live in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Verse 24, he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Well, if you want to live in the Spirit, you're going to have to learn to crucify the flesh. Because somebody's living. And it's either going to be your flesh is living and is able to control what you do, or you're going to crucify it and deem it dead. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Romans 6. Reckon. Determine that you're going to be dead. Your flesh, the desire, everything that is bound up in your flesh, all those works that go out, you're going to kill it because dead things can't do any work. And go, nope, you're not, you're not going to have dominion today. I die daily, Paul says. Why? So you can live in the Spirit. If you don't crucify the flesh and make it active, you know what you won't do? You won't live in the Spirit. You have to make the conscious effort. Uh, Lord, I don't want my flesh alive. Kill it. Because it can't be making decisions today because I'll mess this up. 
Crucify it. Kill it. Mortify your members. I don't know how many different ways he says it, but I might keep thinking of them. It's supposed to be dead so that the spirit can live. If it's dead, you'll be able to live in the spirit. And then he tells you, let us also walk in the spirit. Notice what he says, that you're supposed to cry the, crucify the flesh. Verse 24, with the affections and lusts. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, if you want to walk in the spirit, I thought this was pretty interesting. You, you got to get rid of the affections, lusts, and desires. Walk is the, the continual operation, right? You're supposed to be walking in it, fellowshipping with him. Lust, James chapter 1, right? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. You eliminate the lusts, you won't get drawn away. You won't get pulled away from walking with the Lord. You'll lust and you'll realize and you recognize that lust is there and you go, nope, I don't want those things. And you cut that off. Lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. That's the, that's the imploring of James. Do not err, my beloved brethren. How do you err? By letting those lusts conceive. Just dwelling a little too long. The lust is there. You recognize that it's not right. But instead of looking away yet, you stay with it. Instead of turning from it, you stay with it. And you know what you'll get? You'll get sin and death. And you won't be fulfilling the lust of the... You'll be fulfilling the lust of the flesh instead of getting the fruit of the Spirit. Because in those things, he tells us that you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit, the byproduct is... You'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. You say, that sounds too simple. That's what they say about salvation. It's just too simple. But it's that simple. It's a simple formula, but not so simple for us to keep in mind. It's a simple formula, but so many times we let the flesh win because we, don't, we miss one of those spots. We allow the flesh to have its entry into our decision-making, into our thought process, into our day-to-day, -day, and that little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, and our day gets ruined. You realize how quickly your days get ruined when you let the flesh start winning? You don't squash it. <laughs> You don't eliminate it. So what is it? This is our day-to-day -day right here. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and the two are contrary, the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. Say, so how do I get my victory? Crucify the flesh. Crucify the affections and the lusts and the desires and all those things the flesh wants. Just keep putting it down and putting it down and putting it down so you can bear much fruit. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. You are, you have been great audience tonight. I know I preached long tonight. I just was trying to get 
get all of that across. It's complicated, but not. And I don't know what you're struggling with, but invariably we're in a room full of human beings. <laughs> saved, I hope all of you. But because we're saved, you and I are stuck with the dual nature of fighting the flesh and the spirit, and it's day in and day out. There is no escaping it. Till a rapture happens or the Lord takes you home any other way, we're in a fight. And the flesh is constantly going to go against the spirit, and it will be that way till the day we go home. Maybe you just need to ask him to help you. Maybe you know some places. We talk about the altar. I like the place of the altar because it's a place of sacrifice. And it's between you and him and what you're going to crucify. And maybe you need to go, Lord, I haven't been crucifying my flesh the way I ought to. I haven't been crucifying the affections. and I haven't been putting that stuff down. So everybody will think bad of me. No, they'll think you're human. <laughs> maybe just say, Lord, I want to I want to have the fruit of the Spirit. I don't, I don't think I have it. Take some time with him tonight. Father, we thank you for the day. I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray, Father, I didn't take too much liberty tonight. I pray it was a help. Lord, we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.